working our way through the Gospel of Mark this year, but now we're going to take a five-week break from that. Because, you see, Mark is my favorite Gospel. Because it's bing, bang, boom. This is what Jesus said, this is what he did, it's over. Short and sweet, but maybe a little too short for a years-long passage. So that's why we have this five-week section where we're going to be in John. Now, John is my favorite Gospel. It was the last one written... And this one person says, John writes like Picasso paints. And it is, it can sound really simple, but you can just keep plumbing it for deeper and deeper things. And so we're going to be with this bread of life discourse for the next five weeks. And today we're going to sort of be at that first level. And so as we hear the reading, I would invite you to think about, what are you hungering for? What do you hunger for in your journey of discipleship? And how can we help other people be fed? Our first reading will, all our Old Testament readings for the next five weeks will be passages that John is secretly hinting at in the gospel. So that will be how it's related. And we'll tie in the second reading later. So stay tuned, okay? As the second book of Kings tells us, for at least 3,000 years, the Judeo-Christian tradition has worried that we won't have enough food at our gatherings. And for 3,000 years, there's hardly ever been a church function where we've run out of food. (laughs) Two weeks ago, for example, I was preaching the noon mass at another parish, and they begged me to stay for lunch because the ladies had made too much for a funeral luncheon. I apologized because Father Charlie had specifically charged me the day before with having lunch at Blessed John the 23rd to finish off the leftovers we had from our lunch meeting the day before. What's fascinating is that, for the most part, I don't think people judge the success of a parish function by the quantity of the food. Hopefully they're coming for other things, to share in fellowship, to grow in discipleship, to belong. And yet, so many of us who prepare church functions overly concentrate on the quantity of food. We're repeatedly failing the same test that Philip failed in our gospel passage today. The crowds who came to hear Jesus surely desired to be fed, but they didn't leave their villages to eat a meal with Jesus before the Passover feast. They hungered for other things, things that only Jesus could provide for them. When people come to a church function, what are they hungering for? While we have some awesome jambalaya at our Mardi Gras party, I don't think people come primarily for the food. I think some of them hunger for fellowship. Others hunger to grow in Christian discipleship. In our disconnected, independent culture, many people come to church for a sense of belonging. And in many ways, aren't these the things we're supposed to provide as church? The letter to the Ephesians, our second reading, has sometimes been likened to a legal document negotiating the merger of Jews and Greeks into one faith community. It doesn't talk about the food they're going to eat. It urges them to strive, quote, strive to preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. On any given weekend here at Blessed John the 23rd, there are first-time visitors. 
We think of it happening, especially in August, with the arrival of new students, staff, and faculty. But people move here or visit here throughout the year. Why are they seeking us out? Surely there is a desire for the Eucharist and a hope that we don't run out of hosts. But many are coming to feed these other hungers, a desire to connect, to grow, to belong. But there's a phenomenon that I've observed here. I've seen it at many churches, but, and maybe it's worse here because of our architecture. But we have a significant number of people who stand throughout all the scripture readings. Is this a sign of their hunger and reverence for the word of God? No. Can you put up the first slide, please? No, the problem is, that they're a few minutes late and they can't find a seat near the bed door. (laughs) And they're uncomfortable walking forward to the empty seats in the front. And frankly, it's kind of embarrassing to be up here to see dozens of people standing in the back and dozens of chairs up front. So of course, the question is, why don't these people feel comfortable sitting up front? I'm pretty sure you know why. Second slide. Because you apparently don't feel comfortable sitting up front either. (laughs) See the green? Look around. How many people are sitting in the green? How many people are sitting in the red? Now, I'm sure you have valid reasons for sitting near the door. Let me give you six. One. I'm serving during the Mass, so I need to be sitting on an aisle or near the collection baskets. Two, I feel better when I can see what everyone else is doing. Three, I have small children, so I need to sit near the exit if they act up. Four, I have an extremely small bladder, so I need to be able to make a quick exit to the restroom. Five, I don't like it when Father Rich wanders the aisles. I'm afraid he's going to call on me. And six, I don't know, I just feel more comfortable sitting back here. I'm not going to argue with your logic. However, aren't there just as good reasons to allow the new people to have those seats where they'll feel most comfortable? As church, we are each commissioned by Jesus Christ to extend a hand of hospitality to the stranger, even if it means we have to make little sacrifices in order to make them feel more welcome. So I invite you, No, no. Let me word it more strongly. I earnestly entreat you. Imagine I was Father Charlie. You know how he does that thing like this? For the next four weeks, step outside your comfort zone as we welcome newcomers to campus and we continue to explore the Gospel of John's Bread of Life discourse. Slide three where we would like you to sit for the next four weeks. Please try to sit up front so that those joining us for the first time feel more welcome. Now, I won't be here next weekend. And I haven't told Father Charlie what I'm I'm preaching about this weekend. But just think how shocked he'll be next week (laughs) if you're all sitting in different chairs than usual. And even if you don't like the new seats as much as your old seats, can you try it for the next four weeks? In your discomfort, you can take a moment to pray 
for all people still searching for a place around the table of the Lord. Let's listen again to that passage from Ephesians. Imagining that that letter was written to Jewish members of the synagogue who were being asked to make room for the Greeks who wanted to come and join them at their services. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, one body and one spirit, as you were also called to be the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. What do we hunger for when we come to church? And what can we do to make others more comfortable joining us and satiating their hunger here? There's always room for more people. To quote from our first reading, For thus says the Lord, They shall all eat, and there shall be some left over.